excited to get into God's Word this morning as we continue uh, our journey through Ephesians. We are landing in the end, actually, of Ephesians chapter 6. So this starts the beginning of the end of journeying through Ephesians. And yet we're going to be spending, actually, three total weeks in the end of chapter 6. There's so much richness and so much depth there that as we were working through that passage, we thought, man, there's no way that we can actually navigate through this in one Sunday and do it justice. And not in two Sundays, but no, we need actually three Sundays to be able to go through uh, the end of chapter six. So I'm excited about that. Um, You know, we've been talking about what it means to be a church like Christ. And Paul ends uh, the end of Ephesians of chapter six, talking about the armor of God. How many of you, for those that are in the room this morning, are familiar with the armor of God passage? And I'm sure many of you online are are, are as well. You can put that in the chat box. Um, But my, you know, first exposure to or introduction to the armor of God was uh, the songs in children's church. Growing up in our church, you know, I think there was a song that went something like, I am a Christian, a mighty, mighty Christian. And then like you repeat back and forth and then you start going through the different aspects of the armor of God, the shield of faith and the shoes of peace and all of that good stuff. And so, um, Most of us, many of us, if we grew up in church, are familiar with the armor of God. If we didn't grow up in church, we may have read uh, the passage at different times or heard sermons preached about it. But man, it is such a rich passage and has so much for us to learn. And so I'm excited to dig in today. Um, Paul has been talking about through the, the book of Ephesians what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a reflection of Christ to this world, to love and live and relate as Christ does. And then as we uh, you know, grow in that in our individual journey with Christ, we're moving then together collectively within the body of Christ. And that's why we had titled this, this uh, journey through Ephesians, A Church Like Christ. It wasn't so much because it's an in, just an individual walk that Paul is calling us as we follow Christ to, um, but it's a collective walk, a collective journey that we are doing together because a church like Christ is the body of Christ. We are the the body of Christ, uh, one body with many members. Amen. And so as we study the final verses of Ephesians today, you know, we're going to uh, uh, kind of walk through this imagery that Paul is talking about. And so today we're going to give an introduction to, you know, what it means to, to stand firm and, and be strong in the Lord as Paul, uh, you know, gives instruction at the first part of this. And, um, and then he begins to talk about how we can equip ourselves with the armor of God. But the next two weeks is actually when we're going to dig into that. So we're going to spend some time in the introduction, but I want to give just a quick review, uh, you know, to what, what are we talking about here through Ephesians? You know, maybe if you've missed a sermon or two, you know, what does it mean to be a church that looks like Christ? So we've talked about this all throughout the six chapters of Ephesians. I kind of summarized it like this. First, what it means to be a church like Christ is one who walks in the belonging of Christ Jesus. We talked about that in chapter one. And then in chapter two, uh, one who walks in love, freedom, and unity in Christ Jesus. A church like Christ is one who walks deeply rooted in Christ and experiences transformation. We talked about that in chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, a church like Christ is one who walks in healthy community, in unity together, in oneness, sharing life with one another, each engaged in the mission of bringing Christ's love to the world. And then number five, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, walks, uh, a church that looks like Christ is one who walks in the new family of God, which means a new way of living, a new way of loving, and a new way of relating in every one of our relationships, both within the home and outside of the home, mutually submitting to one another. And then finally, we're going to get in this for the next three weeks. A church that looks like Christ is one who walks in victory, prepared for the battle. We are in a battle, amen? We're walking in a battle. If you do not realize that you are walking each day on an actual battlefield, well, we're going to get you there a little bit more aware today that we are walking in a battlefield 
And so Paul gives final kind of thought and context to all that he's been talking about throughout Ephesians. He says, you know, I have implored you to stand firm, uh, to stand strong, to love and live as Christ, to live as one, to walk out in unity. And But now I'm going to talk about here's what you're up against. And here's what you're going to need to do to make sure that you are equipped for the battle, to make sure that you are able to stand firm and that you are able to be strong in Christ. Here is what you need to do to find victory. And so he closes Ephesians with this very clear call for to ready oneself to literally let's armor up. All right. And so that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. We are going to learn what it means to daily throughout our days with Christ armor up. We need to armor up for the Lord. And so let's dive into Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, starting with verse 10. I'm going to read the whole passage for you, um, but we're going to just focus on the first part of the passage. But I want to go ahead and set the context for you by reading the whole thing. So it says, starting in chapter uh, 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should." When we come to these verses, Paul begins to use the imagery of the soldiers armored, but we need to take a moment here and really understand what's happening. Paul is, as he's writing this letter, he is sitting in prison. He is sitting literally in chains, as he says, as an ambassador for the Lord. He's in chains, and he's under persecution, and he is literally in battle for the persecution that he's facing in chains. And so we can feel like this is a little bit of a drastic shift from what Paul's been talking about, even in Ephesians chapter 5 and the verse part of uh, 6 of talking about relationships within the home and the household and things like that. But what Paul is doing, he's kind of bringing a conclusion to all of the instruction that he has given to the church of Ephesus. And he's, I mean, just picture that uh, this of literally sitting in prison, he's looking around him and he is in the battlefield, looking at the battle at hand right in front of him. You know, he says in 2 Corinthians, one of the things that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians as he's writing to the church in Corinth is he talks about these ways that we are crushed, but we are not destroyed, that we are abandoned or we are uh, perplexed, but we are not completely um, abandoned or persecuted, but not abandoned. That is one thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, I, we are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. And so you have Paul, a follower of Christ Jesus, whose life has been literally changed. If you don't don't know much about the conversion of Paul. Paul was one who actually persecuted and killed Christians. He was a murderer. He was one who hated Christians. And then God radically changed his life, turned his life around, and he went in pursuit after preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point of now he's in prison. And so when you understand the place that Paul is in, we need to kind of get a little bit of a context of the depth of what he's saying. As he says, stand firm, this guy knows what he's talking about. 
if somebody's going to tell me to stand firm, I tell you what, I want them to know what they're talking about. I don't want someone who has hardly gone through anything in life to tell me to stand firm. Of course you can stand firm if you've barely faced anything. No, I want someone who says stand firm because they know what it means to have to work to follow Christ and stand firm. Paul knows what it means to stand firm, to be strong. So when he starts to talk about the armor of God, and I think Brad has a picture hopefully for you. And again, we're going to go through each of these pieces over the next two weeks. But when Paul starts to talk about the armor of God, he's not just, again, creating some sort of um, like metaphor or cute image. You know, we've kind of made it a little cute for our children. We went through um, at the beginning of COVID actually with our kids online on Zoom. If some, I know some of our kids that are in this room jumped on those Zoom calls and we went through each of the armor, armor, armors of God, armor of God, um, over about six weeks. And, you know, we talked about it and there were some really great cute videos that helped them know what that meant and the truth of what that means. But what Paul's talking about here is no cute armor to help us try to understand. Paul is, is surrounded, and this, this picture doesn't even do it justice, but Paul is surrounded by the Roman soldiers that, is actually, that are, are actually wearing this armor. So when he begins to talk about the armor of God, we need to understand he's looking at the armor. He's looking, he's saying, yeah, we're on a battlefield. We are crushed, but we are not destroyed. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We have faced all kinds of horrible things, difficult things, because of the evil in this world, but Jesus Christ is the victor in the end. He is the one that reigns, and, and we need to be dressed like that. We need to be completely covered and completely protected from our bodies to our souls to our minds to our spirits. We need to be protected by the armor of God because we are in a battle. We are in a fight. Amen? So as we work through these verses and their contemporary application over the next couple of weeks, we want to pray, and I invite you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, would you help me to take this and make an application to my own heart and my own life to bring fresh understanding and fresh revelation to the truth and the power of what Paul is saying here. So first, Paul is saying, be strong in the battle. There is a power that is addressed in these verses that we need to dig into and understand what Paul is saying here. Look at verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It says, be strong in his mighty power, not in your mighty power, not in the church's mighty power, not in your pastor's mighty power, not in a person, an influencer online or in the government's mighty power. Paul says, finally, be strong in his mighty power. You know, Paul was regularly praying for the church and imploring the church to experience the strength and the power and the grace that is only through Christ Jesus alone. And Paul reminded us that we're in one in Christ. And because we are one in Christ, Christ Jesus, the power that rests in Christ Jesus, the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, it lives in us is what the scripture says. The prophets in the Old Testament regularly spoke the voice of the Lord, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid because God is with you. We have this instruction to be strong, but it's not just instruction to be strong. It's a promise that God has given us through the power of Christ Jesus, a promise that we can take hold on and say, I can, in fact, be strong in the Lord, not in my own power, not in my own strength, but I can be strong in his power. We see in the Greek, it helps us to see that be strong literally could mean be strengthened because people cannot strengthen themselves. We need to see this as we must be empowered, not just once empowered, but constantly empowered, constantly strengthened by God who lives within us. He says, not by the Lord, but in the Lord, because we are living in union with God and in relationship and in belonging with Christ Jesus, we are perpetually, regularly being strengthened by Christ Jesus. So when life is lived in relationship, we do not need to fear that we are walking in battles. 
we can be strengthened through Christ Jesus. We see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, it says, I have written to you, you who are God's children, because you know the Father. I have written to you who are you who are mature in faith because you know Christ. I have written to you, you who are young in the faith, because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts, and you have won your battle over the evil one. We have a promise from Christ Jesus that we can be strong in the Lord. But see, that's the key, right? Is that it's in the Lord. It is not in and of our own strength. It's not disconnected from that power. You got to plug it in to the actual outlet if you're going to use something that needs power. So we, so Paul, what he's doing is he's setting up here is this reality that you, yes, be strong. You need to be strong. We are in a battle. But the only way that you can do that is if you are in Christ Jesus, that if Christ lives within you and you are on pursuit of Christ Jesus. So then we see in verse 11, it says, put on the full armor so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Full armor protects and then Paul will begin to give names and new purposes for each part of the armor. But we need to understand that this command or this instruction from Paul to be strong in the Lord, again, is the protection that comes from Christ Jesus. But it's really needing to be able to understand this battlefield that, that Paul is talking about. What does it mean that we are in battle? What does it mean that when Paul says that you can stand firm against the evil one? It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 12, as I just read, put on all God's armor so that you can stand against, against the strategies of the devil. Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What is Paul talking about here? We cannot be equipped for a battle we do not understand. So we need to understand what that battle is. What is the battle that we're in? I mean, we can very easily, quickly look around us and say, well, there's a battle going on right now. It's COVID-19. There's a battle going on right now. It's racial injustice. There's a battle going on right now. There's a, 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 an election coming up. There's a battle going on right now. My finances are failing. There's a battle going on right now. My relationships are broken. There's a battle going on right now, and I can't seem to get out of the darkness that's in my mind and that's in my heart and the anxiousness that I feel on a regular basis and the ways that I feel overcome with worry and stress. There's a battle going on. And so we can point to all these things and we understand there is, in a sense, an earthly battle that is happening both externally and oftentimes internally within us. But what does scripture say about the devil or the enemy? What does that mean? You know, see, we have to look at verse 11 and 12. They have to be understood together. Taking a stand against the devil's schemes, the word, de the word devil refers to slanderer. Or accuser. That's what that means. The idea of the devil is a slanderer or an accuser, one who comes against, one who attacks, one who accuses. It's this entity that is coming to unjustly and unfairly attack against us. But in verse 12, as we put it with verse 12, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Paul says, This is not merely a human or earthly struggle or battle that is occurring here. Our battle is not only in the earthly realm with what we can see and what we can touch and what we can feel. It cannot be understood only in that context. What Paul is saying here is there's a pervasive evil that exists throughout the world, and its source is not God. It does not come from God. God is not the author of evil. Paul reminds believers that there are both spiritual and earthly forces that are at work uh, uh, forces of evil that are at work both in the world and in the spiritual world. And I want to take a few minutes, we're going to sit here for a few minutes, because it's really important that we understand what it means when Paul is saying this. You see, the fight that we're in, that God is protecting us against, again, it's not against a person, but it's against anything that will come against our identity in Christ Jesus, anything that comes against our belonging in Christ Jesus. 
From a, a biblical standpoint, Paul's writing and other places throughout the New Testament, we can see that there is um, an entity of evil that, that is in a sense personified. It has different names of Satan, thief, tempter, the devil. Uh, it's named principalities of darkness or spiritual powers in this world. Those are all names, personified names that, that scripture uses to explain this entity of evil that Paul is referencing. This entity of evil, this anti-God, again, it becomes personified in scripture. We see it um, occurring, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It says Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. We see that in the gospel. Scripture stating that the devil entered Judas, Judas, the one who portrayed, uh, betrayed Jesus before Jesus went to the cross. It says the devil entered Judas. We see it throughout the book of Acts in the New Testament when we see manifestations of evil or throughout the gospels of people being de demonically possessed and being set free. But if we bring it to our context now, we have seen these, these caricatures of evil that could cause us to actually not take it seriously, to disregard it as silly or, or blown out of proportion minimized or mocked and we need to understand that the version that the world has created whether that's through witchcraft or whether that's through halloween or things like that we need to understand that that, that we've maybe kind of made fun of or made light of or no big deal in the movies that we watch and the things that we engage with on a regular basis but we need to understand that there and we need to put it in context that there is a war in the spiritual realm, evil and good through Christ Jesus and evil through this entity of Satan or devil. The, the Bible talks about it. And so we need to understand the battle that we're in and we need to take it seriously of the way that it comes against us, is working against us on a regular basis. So Paul, what part, um, sorry, part of what Paul is teaching here is that the evil is seen in the power structures of this world. In the systems of this world, systems and structures that are, are so broken and are so marred because of the fallen nature of this world. And he says, don't get fixated by the human agents that are acting and moving within this evil. Because we need to realize there is a bigger picture of spiritual forces of evil in this world. John Stott, who is a theologian and, and works through scripture to understand context, he describes it this way. The spiritual forces of evil have three main characteristics. They are powerful, they are wicked, and they are cunning. So sometimes wickedness and evil in this wor world is seen in overt ways. And then sometimes it's experienced in very subtle, deceptive, manipulative ways. Now, in John chapter 10, verse 10, I'm going to read two different scriptures. There's many throughout the Bible that describe the, the work of Satan or the work of the enemy, this, this evil one. But I'm going to pull out two specific ones that help kind of summarize a little bit of what we're up against in this work of evil. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says the thief's purpose. Again, this kind of name to, that describes Satan or describes the evil in this world. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Paul makes reference to this enemy again at the beginning of Ephesians in chapter 2 where he's talking about he reminds those in Christ that have been made alive in Christ. We're no longer subject to the powers of this world. The power of God's peace and life come in the midst of an ongoing war and a struggle with evil. So we don't just rest here. We need to understand the battle that we're in. We cannot be equipped for the battle if we don't understand the battle that we're in. But we don't stop there with this all-consuming thought of all the evil that we're up against and all the overwhelming fear could come over us if we were to stay consumed by that understanding. We need to understand that the power of God's peace that lives within us, the power of Christ that lives within us, has given us and continually gives us what we need to fight in this battle. We are not fighting in this battle alone. Remember, Paul said, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. We 
on our own, in our humanity, do not have what it takes to be able to stand firm against this pervasive evil in our world. We're overwhelmed by it right now as we see it regularly being displayed in front of us all over the place. In media, as we're driving down the street, all over the place, we are seeing evil being displayed. We could become completely incapacitated, completely unable and disabled to move throughout this life if we become consumed and fixated on the evil that is in front of us. We need to fix our eyes on Christ Jesus and understand the ways that he has equipped us for the battle. You know, when sin and brokenness entered the world, it brought this imperfection and it brought brokenness that, again, permeates every aspect of life on this earth. That's how we we have to kind of understand where does evil come from? Why does evil continue to exist in this world? We see an explanation of that in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. We're going all the way back to creation here, the story of Genesis When Adam's sin sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. That's why evil exists in this world. Our world became marred by sin and brokenness, and it created a spiritual war on this earth that will not be fully finished until we reach eternity in heaven. And yet we also know that the power of the cross of Christ Jesus won that battle against sin and bondage, and a life without hope was no longer necessary. We began to embrace a life with hope as we embrace Jesus Christ. Our hope and our justification for sin and our our righteousness, our right relationship, our belonging, that gift of salvation was won and finalized through the life of Christ Jesus. And so we then have the power again of Christ who lives within us to experience victory over evil, to experience victory over the strongholds that exist, even though we are still in the midst of the battle. In Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, it goes on helping explain the story of this redemption over evil. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not have to be afraid or to live in fear, but we must live aware. Amen. We do not have to live in perpetual fear or constant concern that evil is overtaking this world. We serve a God who still sits on the throne and who is still sovereign and in control of all. And he will have the final say in the end. But we must live aware. We must live consciously aware of what we are up against. So again, we stand firm not in and of our own strength, but we stand firm in the righteousness, the gift of a relationship with Christ Jesus. So finally, stand firm in Christ. In verse 13, it says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. We stand firm in Christ. Except the problem is is that So often, all of us, those who are following Christ, those who are maybe not completely following Christ, we are just always continually, perpetually trying to do it on our own. We find ourselves wandering away from the help that Christ offers us, wandering away from the tools and the the things that we know that we should implement to grow in our walk with Christ. Paul prayed one of Paul's prayer, many prayers. He said, I pray that Christ would be formed in you. Christ needs to be being formed within us, and yet we regularly wander away from the home that we have in Christ. And so Paul is kind of bringing us back in and saying, you need to be equipped for the battle. You need to be in Christ Jesus. You need to be strong in the Lord. Don't do this on your own. You can't do this. This man that is sitting in prison knows 
This man that is sitting in chains knows. The one who has said, I've been crushed, but I have not been destroyed. He knows. He says, I've been persecuted, but I have not been abandoned. So if we feel like we don't have, have it and we feel like God's not near, it's not because God has abandoned us. It's because we have walked away. God has not abandoned us. It means we've gotten our, our eyes fixed on something else. God has not abandoned us. It means we have started leaning on something or someone else to equip us for the battle at hand and not God alone. God does not abandon us in the battle. He's always present, always there. So we need to stand firm in Christ. Jesus, pray this prayer. We talk about it so much at Essence Place. Prayed to the Father in John chapter 17. He said that he prayed that we would belong to the world or belong to God, not to this world, that we would be one as Christ Jesus and God the Father was one. You see, scripture calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. We cannot stand firm in Christ Jesus if we belong to this world more than we belong to Christ Jesus. We cannot be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power if we belong more to this world and the relationships that we have in this world or the finances that we have in this world or the careers that we have in this world or the material possessions that we have in this world or the hope that we have in this government. We cannot stand firm in Christ Jesus. We cannot be strong in the Lord and his mighty power when we are belonging to the world more than we belong to Christ Jesus. And Paul says, armor up. We're in a battle. It's time to armor up. And part of armoring up is knowing and believing and regularly each day holding ourselves accountable. Am I belonging more to this world that I am Christ Jesus. And if I am, God, would you bring me back home? Would you bring me back to your place of safety? Would you bring me back to your place of belonging? Would you bring me back to your place of love and peace and strength and all that you offer? Paul's recognizing, though, that we're engaged in a war, in a war and that it is a struggle. It is a struggle to remain in Christ, to live as ones who belong to the Lord who belong to Christ Jesus more than the world. I struggle with this. I don't know about you. Maybe do you struggle? <laughs> I struggle with this on a regular basis. It is a daily process for me. Um, there's a song that kind of always comes to my mind. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is the idea of like, I'm just, we're just in our humanity. We're just prone to, to kind of walk away from what we know is good for us. Sometimes we kind of like intentionally walk away. And then sometimes we have just kind of inadvertently, unintentionally, because we haven't been paying attention, have wandered away. You know, Paul recognizes this struggle. He knows it's a struggle. And so he, we see him kind of describe this struggle in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through uh, 25. He's, he's kind of describing this idea of like, I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave. I'm prone to kind of do what I know is not a good thing to do. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I'm even there. Amen. Right here, raising my hand. I love God's law with all my heart. That's me too. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Man, I've been there. This power, it makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, he says, though. <laughs> the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. It's difficult to fully understand how on one hand, Paul, at some point in scripture, says we are no longer slaves to sin. And then he says, I am a slave to sin. It's like, Paul, make up your mind. <laughs> you know, what is wrong with you? He's all over the place. But really what he's trying to describe all throughout the New Testament in his letters to the church is that we are in a battle. We're engaged in a war and there is um, a, a, a battle that is happening in the spiritual realm where God is fighting on our behalf to protect us, to protect our 
minds, to protect our bodies, to protect our hearts, to welcome us in his home, to welcome us in his family, to bring strength and belonging and freedom on all that he offers. That's the redemptive story through Christ Jesus. And yet there is evil that is still pervasive and permeates this world and will continue until again we reach eternity in heaven and it is all over. And so what Paul is saying here is, I know there is this, this war. And another way that he says it in another part of Romans is that my flesh rages war against my spirit, that I know better, and that I have kind of this in, inner struggle, this inner tension, this inner conflict that happens where I love God's law, where I love the belonging that I have in Christ Jesus. It is my place of home. It is my place of safety. My God will not abandon me. And he is the most trustworthy relationship that I have, the most trustworthy place. And when I'm in that place, I am equipped for any battle that I may face. But I have this other part in me, in the flesh, in my humanity that just gets so distracted and gets so caught up in my scheduling, so caught up in the pressures around me, so caught up in pleasing other people, so caught up in worrying about paying the bills, so caught up in worrying about my relationships, so caught up in failing. And I kind of leave and I kind of wonder, And all of a sudden, I'm looking around me in the battle, and I'm not equipped. I don't got any tools in my tool belt. I am vulnerable to the attack. And God says, come home. Come to this place of belonging. If you stay to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, you will not be vulnerable to the attack. You know what's so awesome? And Paul is talking about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, we know we're at this war. There's a struggle that is happening He moves on into Romans chapter 8. And he says in Romans chapter 8, but there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who belong, we have been set free through the life of Christ Jesus because we have a relationship with the Most High God. We receive this truth. We see it in Romans chapter 8 that we are not, again, on our own, that abundant life is possible through Christ Jesus. So even though there are times where we get distracted and even though there are times where we lose our focus and we get overwhelmed and we get over discouraged and we get burdened by what we see in this world and we get fearful for what's up ahead and not knowing what's going to happen down the road in this world, He says, but there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the moment that we snap to attention and we realize we're standing in the middle of the battlefield, vulnerable and unaware, we snap to attention and God says, come on, and we come. And there's compassion and there's grace and there's an embracing of us coming home. And again, a a beginning of equipping us once again for the battle. We don't want to wander away, but we're going to sometimes wander away. And when we do, God brings us back home. God brings us back into home with him. So the question is, if we know that we have a home in Christ, we've talked about that here, if we know that we have belong in Christ, if we can be strong in his mighty power, and we know that we can be equipped, which we're going to talk about in the next couple of ways, the practical things, the ways that Paul talks about being equipped and armoring up, then why are we straying so often? Why are we not armoring up in the way that we know we can? Why are we not equipping ourselves for the battle? It's a great question. you got to ask yourself that question. I ask myself that question, oh God, why do I wonder away? Why do I become distracted? And I find myself trying to be strong in my own might, trying to be strong in my own uh, intellect, in my own ingenuity, in my own creativity to try to fix what is in front of me, to try to solve the problems that are, are in front of me rather than coming and just sitting at your feet and trusting in you, in the process, in the waiting, in the uncertainty, knowing that you give wisdom and knowing that you give knowledge and counsel. Why do I know that counseling helps me be strong and helps me have tools that I need, and yet I don't call the therapist and I don't call the counselor and I ignore that opportunity that I have where I know it will help me? 
Why do I refuse the tools that are in front of me like friends and faith community and home groups that are coming up this next couple of weeks and gatherings that are offered to me where I will be surrounded by people who love Jesus like I love Jesus that can help shore me up, can help strengthen me, and yet I ignore it. And I say, no, why do I do that? Because I know it'll help me. Because I know it'll encourage me. When that friend calls me and that friend texts me and I ignore it because I just don't want to deal with it. But I know if I reach out, they'll be there to pray for me. They'll be there to encourage me. If I know if I get up early to read my Bible and to pray or I spend time at night before I go to bed or at some point throughout my day, whichever part of day works best for me, and I know if I could just pick that scripture up and if I could just spend some time with it and if I could just spend some time in communion, just silence with God, I know that it will give me the breath that I need to continue and yet I don't do it. I'm asking you why, but I ask myself why (laughs) on a regular basis. But you know what? I have learned the more discipline that I have in my life to implement what God has given me, the more resilient I become. The more I am able to stand firm, even though the battle is literally surrounding me. Because not only do I have the power of Christ Jesus that resides in me, but I have a discipline that implements the tools and the strategy that I need. One of my favorite uh, therapists, authors, etc. online, her name is Dr. Anita Phillips. You should look her up if you're on Instagram. But she has a quote. It says, prayer is a weapon. Therapy is a strategy. And I love it. I bought her t-shirt because it was so cool. And it's a great reminder. Therapy is not the only strategy. But that's the thing is that we have weapons in our arsenal through Christ Jesus, through prayer, through his word, through the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit that works within us and through us. But we need a strategy. And many of us are walking through our faith walk, through our journey with Christ, and we have no strategy. We've got the power of Christ living within us, but we don't know how to implement that power. We don't know how to apply that power. We need a strategy. How many of you need a strategy? I need a strategy. I needed a strategy, and I have put in a strategy. And when I get off that strategy, I know it, my family knows it, and probably many other people in the world know it. We need a strategy. And so what we're going to talk about the next two weeks is a strategy to be able to take the weapons that Christ Jesus has given us and implement those in the battle. So as I close this morning, this is a way that I want to close For those of you that are aligned, for those of you that are are in the room with me, I want you to close your eyes because I want as much as possible. I don't know the environment you're in as you're watching online. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. It's not a good idea. But the idea is just, can you get in a, a space of just centering as much as possible? A space where you just kind of settle a bit in your mind. And it's okay if there are distractions around you. We have to learn how to center ourselves and center our heart and take those deep breaths and hear the voice of God even when there are distractions. God always speaks through the distractions. I have four questions for you this morning, specific questions. If it helps you, I encourage you to write them down. I found in my life that one of the biggest reasons I wander away and I lose my focus upon God and I start trying to do things on my own or I start looking more at the world around me is that I'm struggling to trust in the God who says he will never abandon me. I've realized in my life that the, one of the main reasons that I wander away is because I wonder, can God, is God okay with the way that I have wandered away? It's like a child, our children, when they, they mess up and they do wrong and they know we love them, 
They know we're, you know, we're going to be there for them no matter what, and yet they hide and they may lie of the ways they messed up. They refuse to be honest with us. And then we talk about it and we say, well, if you had just came to us, if you had not tried to hide it, if you had not tried to, to, to sneak around about it, if you had not lied about it, we would have been here to talk you through that because we deeply love you unconditionally. And if we're that way with our children, then how much more is God who is really the only one who can love us truly unconditionally? And he says, why did you hide? Why did you wonder? I know you get distracted. I know that it's hard. I know that it can be overwhelming. But I love you deeply, irrevocably, unconditionally. So the question is, as it said in Romans 8, there's now no condemnation. So who dares accuse you? That's what it says later in Romans 8. Who dares condemn us? Who dares accuse us? Because it's not Christ Jesus. It's not our Lord. When we are in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation, even when we wonder. So who dares accuse you? Who dares condemn you? Who dares separate you from Christ Jesus? Who dares come against you? Those are four statements that we see in Romans 8 where Paul is speaking to the powerful, not unbreaking, irrevocable love and belonging that we have in Christ Jesus. Who dares accuse you? Certainly not I, says God. Is it you? Do you accuse yourself? Are you condemning yourself? Are you separating yourself from Christ Jesus, from the love that he offers? Is it someone else? Is it others in this world? No one. No one can accuse us. No one can condemn us. No one, no thing can separate us. No one and no thing can come against us. Only we choose to wander away. Only we choose to let go of being strong in the mighty power, his power. And when we do that, we can no longer stand firm in the battle that we're in. We are vulnerable at that point. So before we jump and we dive into the armor of God and those pieces those tools, the, the practices that Paul talks about of armoring up each day, we just can't even get there until we get in this place of understanding the belonging and the love, of really challenging ourselves to, to be in that place of love and belonging that Christ Jesus has for us. So who dares, you, who dares to accuse you? Who dares to condemn you? Who dares to separate you? Who dares to come against you? As we move in the next two weeks, looking at all of these tools that we have to stand firm in this battle, to grow in faith until Christ is formed in us, we need to acknowledge it's not God who leaves us. It's not God who abandons us. It's not God who comes against us or has forgotten us or is punishing us, or is disappointed with us. It's not God. So who is it? Oftentimes it's us, and oftentimes it's others. And so I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you, but I want you to pray. And those of you that are online, I'm praying over you. You can chat in the chat box, and Pastor Brad's on there if you need special prayer this morning. For those of you that are in person, after I pray, there's a song that uh, Pastor Brad is going to play for you to just be in a time of prayer. If you are not going to stay and pray, I encourage you to immediately step outside. So then, And you can talk and hang out out there, but then that way those that do want to stay for a little while and just respond to this and spend some time in prayer are able to do that. But I want to pray for you, and I encourage you to be praying with me in this, in this moment. Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful that we are not in this battle on our own. 
God, we are so thankful that although there is a thief that has come to still kill and destroy, you have come to give us life and to give us life abundantly. That through relationship and belonging with you, oh God, we have the power to live in victory in this world. We have the power, the weapons to be overcome strongholds in our life. We have the power and the weapons to be able to exist in the middle of the battle, in the middle of trials that do not seem to end. Trials that seem to just perpetually be there. There's not an end. There's not a light at the end of the tunnel. We can't see when these situations will come to a close and we're waiting. But in that waiting, God, we know that we have and can have victory but it requires us to take hold of it. It requires us to discipline ourselves. It requires us to make intentional choices. But most of all, it requires us to believe from the depths of our soul that you do not abandon us. You do not condemn us, that you love us completely and wholly. All parts of ourself, the broken and the whole parts of ourself, you love and you embrace and you draw us near because God, you long to equip us for the battle. You long for us to see victory over the sin in our life. You long for us to see victory over those things that weigh us down. And so God, in this moment, I pray that each person that is watching, each person that's in this room, will sense the great love and compassion and kindness and mercy of you, O oh God, that brings them home, that brings them in, that brings them into belonging. And God, as they experience that, Father, may they be reminded that you have given them the power to overcome in this life, not in, in, their, in and of their own strength, but because you are moving and living within them, oh God. God, I pray that we would all begin to evaluate the ways that we ignore what you offer us. Or maybe we're not ignoring them, but we're simply not disciplining us, disciplining ourselves in the strategy. We don't have a strategy to try to take hold of these things so that we can in fact armor up, so that we can in fact face the battle. God, would you show us those areas, Father? And God, would we see the ways that we are growing, the ways that we have changed, the ways that the, the fruit that we see in our life, God, would we be able to intentionally see and have clear mind and clarity of vision of the ways that we may not have it all figured out, but we have disciplined ourselves in areas and we have transformed and we have grown in you and we are bearing fruit of that. Help us not be discouraged. God, help us to be filled with gratitude of the ways that you have been present with us and the ways that we are growing and you are being formed in us because it is good. God, we love you and we know that you love us, but help us to believe it in our hearts, oh God, and help us to come to you every time we wander away, Father. God, equip us for the battle, oh God. Equip us for the battle. God, we know that you are victorious. Amen.